0: Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we thank you for the moms in our midst. Again, Lord, uh, we're very much aware that they carry out a task which all too often is thankless, a task which at times within our culture has been minimized in its significance. And uh, Father, we pray that you will affirm to each of them today the deep, deep significance of what they do by investing themselves Uh, tirelessly and uh, without reward all too often, Lord, into their children. And we just thank you for them and ask your blessing upon them that we might acknowledge them and minister to them in ways today that that, are significant uh, to each of them. So we thank you. Thank you for them, Lord. We just thank you that we can entrust these things to you. We thank you for things that we can celebrate today. And now as we open your word, we thank you that you... our our teacher, and we pray indeed you would do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. With a little thought, most of us could probably identify a particular something about our moms. We say, "This, this is something that stands out about my mom. I don't imagine it would take anybody more than five minutes to narrow that down and that we would just recognize that this is who this woman was. Now, we assume with that that everything is, you know, mom's apple pie kind of thing, everything is wonderful. Well, that that may not be the case. So for some of us, the idea of our memories of our mom are very good. We might identify quickly that she was funny, compassionate, intelligent, spiritual, a great cook, something that just jumps out at us that we just have these warm Feelings and memories about mom That's a possibility For others of us It may not go in that direction We may remember our moms As distant, angry Strict Not nurturing at all Manipulative So that thing That we identify Might go one way or another Depending on what our experience was But we could all narrow it down to one thing well, as we come back to the book of Second Chronicles today, or to the book, I should say, the verse that we have chosen for today is what I would call the one verse identified with this book that we all have known or heard. As you look in your, as you look in your bulletins and you have your little memory verse card here, for Second Chronicles 7, 14, and we and I'm going to read, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. I just, I just want to do a little survey here. And there's no guilt on anyone, okay? How many of us recognize that verse? You say, oh yeah, I've heard that before. Absolutely. We use that verse on the National Day of Prayer. We use that verse uh, at a Memorial Day service. We use that verse on 4th of July. It is a verse that speaks nationally to the people of Israel, and so we appropriate it to our needs on that, those particular occasions. Okay, now, that was a fair showing of hands. How many people can think of some other verse out of Second Chronicles? Well, that was right. <laughs> okay. That's the verse. Just like one thing we could identify with our mom, that's the one thing we identify with Second Chronicles. And that's where we are today. That's our memory verse. What I would like to do is I would like to uh, just give us a little lead-in so we can see some context to that verse, and then we're going to hopefully leave here with a better understanding because there's something, something very significant that's going on there. Now, you might think that I chose the verse specifically because it is that well-known verse, but that's not why I chose that to speak on today. Although that would be absolutely appropriate today, now hear me, and it's why I'm not even, even why I'm not focusing more on what we might think an actual Mother's Day message. I chose that verse for its historical import. Here's what I mean. We saw in 1 Samuel that the people of Israel asked for a king, and God said to Samuel, "He said uh, he, Samuel was judging them, said, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me, that I would rule over them. That was 1 Samuel. Got to 2 Samuel, we got the second king that they had. He was a magnificent king by the name of David, and he loved the Lord so much that he wanted to build a permanent structure for the ark of God, which was originally housed in a tabernacle or a tent, so that it could be moved. And he was going to build it. He wanted to build a permanent structure. But he was told, no, you're not going to do that. But God said, I will build a house for you. And he made this magnificent promise to David that Messiah would ultimately come from him and that the right to the throne in Israel, would always be with a descendant of David's. Magnificent promise. He said, I will make a house for you. We looked at that. We got to First Kings, and that was the week that, that um, Cruiser shared from the pulpit. And the next king after David was Solomon. And Solomon sought wisdom because he knew that he did not have on his own what it would take to lead this great people of Israel. Then by the time we got to Second Kings, we went to the end of Second Kings, And you will recall, if you've been with us for the entire series, at the end of 2 Kings, what has happened is the kingdom had divided. And by the end of 2 Kings, the northern kingdom, which consisted of ten tribes, had been dragged off into Assyria. And the southern kingdom, which consisted of two tribes, had been dragged off into Babylon. And the people of Israel were dispersed. That's why we call what happens in First and Second Chronicles, backtrack. Because we've gone back to the time of David and Solomon. Because it covers the same time frame, it just looks at it from a different angle, if you will. And so we've gone back to that. And what we saw in First Chronicles, we were given a little more information. When David was told, no, you're not going to build the house, in First Chronicles 22, we learned why he's not going to build the house, because he was a man of war. And God was not going to allow for either, this is what we noted, either infant sacrifice or the blood of war to somehow get blended, blurred, somehow confused into the sacrifices that take place at the the tabernacle, that blood that is placed upon the ark. Because that stood for something very significant. And this was not going to be mixed up. So he said, nope, you've said too much blood and war. Even though you're a great king and I love you, you're not going to build that house. Your son Solomon will build it after you. And that's where we are today. When we come to Second, or second Chronicles chapter 7, the house has been built. Solomon has accomplished everything he desired. And at the beginning of the chapter, I'm just going to highlight a couple of things that took place in the dedication of that house. You won't see this on the screen. We will have something on the screen shortly. When Solomon had finished praying, and in terms of his dedication prayer of the house, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple, this house that was just built. And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement. I mean, they were all the way down and worshiped and praised the Lord saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Because God's very presence was manifested in the house that Solomon had made. He took up residence in the temple and then later it says after describing all the sacrifices and all the things that had gone on because it was quite elaborate in fact it went on for a full week that they were honoring God and acknowledging him here's how the summary statement is made thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house and Solomon successfully accomplished all that came into his heart to make in the house of the Lord and in his own house so he's at the end of this building program and it ends with this magnificent revelation of God's presence in the temple that Solomon made for him. Knowing that here's where we want to pick up now. Because there's an incident that takes place later now in just as between God and Solomon. In second excuse me, 2nd Chronicles chapter seven, we will pick it up in verse 12, just before our verse. Here's what we read. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night. So this is sometime after, I assume shortly after the dedication of the temple. And said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people... He names these calamities that he has already cautioned them will come if they walk in disobedience. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. That's our memory verse. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. As for you, speaking to Solomon, if you walk before me as your father David walked and do according to all that I have commanded you and if you keep my statutes and my judgments... Then I will establish the throne of your kingdom, as I, as I covenanted with David your father, saying, You shall not fail to have a man as ruler in Israel. But if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot them from my land. "...which I have given them, and this house, which I have sanctified for my name, I will cast out of my sight, will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And as for this house, which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and say, why has the Lord done this to this land and this house? Then they will answer, because they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt and embraced other gods." and worship them, and serve them. Therefore, he has brought all this calamity on them. Powerful, powerful passage and revelation given to Solomon about the significance of what has just taken place. Think about this, friends. The significance of that place... But God just told Solomon, it is the ultimate holy place on earth. There's no other place like it on earth. See, the ark, because that's what they made a house for, right? Have we got that? I, I feel like I've got to keep repeating it in case we're, it, it all seems fuzzy. The ark, which is where God said He would meet them way back in the book of Exodus when He had them build the tabernacle... The ark, which is where the blood of the sacrificial animal was placed once a year. The ark, which typified the work of Christ on our behalf. Thusly, it couldn't be confused, was not to be confused with infant sacrifice or or the blood of war because it's the blood of Christ himself. Our perfect Redeemer. The ark with its redemptive purpose that the angels have been watching for millennia. And Peter tells us that. These things the angels desire to look into. Why do you think that on that that mercy seat, the cover of the ark, there's two angels both looking over the ark? their faces are turned in and their wings are turned in and they're looking at that place because I said, I'm going to meet you right here. Right here is where you put that atoning blood. And then if you read the account, you will understand that that entire room, the walls in that Holy of Holy has the uh, images of angels all the way around it. So the angels are watching. That ark was given a permanent home and God was to prepared to meet them there and act redemptively on their behalf there and friends it is this historical significance which gives significance to today's news might seem like a long jump but it's not at all What happens tomorrow? Somebody go ahead and just say it right out. Tomorrow, however, many presidents have promised it would happen that they were going to move the American embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, regardless of what you think of him, tomorrow the embassy moves. Donald Trump said he would do it and he's doing it. Do you know what else is significant about tomorrow? Tomorrow is 70 years to the day that Israel was reconstituted in the land. It's just an interesting observation for us to hold. You recall when Jesus went into uh, on his triumphal entry and he wept over Jerusalem. He said, you wouldn't receive me. I'd have gathered you like a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not receive me. And now your home is left unto you desolate. Not one stone will be unturned. And in 70 AD, 70 years after Christ's arrival, Titus comes in, destroys the temple, and disperses the people of Israel. May 14th, 1948 the people of Israel are reconstituted back in their land as a result of the horrific purging that Hitler sought to inflict upon them. Seventy years from the arrival of Christ to the temple is destroyed. Centuries later, they're reconstituted and 70 years after that, America moves its embassy there. Now, to be honest with you, I think America as a nation in itself is not all that significant in this in this telling. America presently would just be another pagan nation. No, God is not impressed with them. America is not God's chosen people. Are we clear on that? We are a people who've been blessed by God and we are a people who are turning away from God. But somehow, through this particular president we're moving our embassy here's what I think is significant is it's calling people's attention back to Jerusalem it's calling people to think about Jerusalem so let's just hang on to that there that's the historical significance when God said to Solomon I will keep my ear attuned to prayer from this place I will watch this place and how you react to me, respond to me, honor me in this place, I'll know whether you're serious about what you, what you claim to be and your commitment to me. So that's historically. I want to talk a little bit spiritually now. And here's where our notes come in. If you want to fill them in, I'll give it to you right up front. It's this. When we take God seriously, He receives us graciously. When we take God seriously, he receives us graciously. What do I mean by taking God seriously? Notice notice that as God spoke to Solomon about what was necessary to catch his ear as he's always paying attention to what's going on in Jerusalem and at that temple He said, If my people who are called by my name, that's Israel, friends, will humble themselves. That's where it's going to start for all of us, dear friends. That we are humble enough to finally say, Lord, I'm not pulling this thing off. My way is not working, my ideas are not adequate. I cannot bring anything before you that is of my own good. Lord, I acknowledge what you have said about me. I am a sinner, hopelessly lost. And I come before you on bended knee and acknowledge you alone as God. We start there. Because if we resist that, and we do, that's our natural inclination. It took a long time for God to impress upon me that I bring nothing to my salvation I have nothing to offer Christ alone is my hope as we resist that God's aware he understands we're still resisting we won't humble ourselves if we begin with humbling ourselves then we can pray and seek his face not one of the many pagan deities that the people of Israel were continually turning to not the idols that you and I turn to in our day and age. And they may not be an idol that stands up and we put a little offering before it. But they're the things that have first place in our lives. And we say, this is what I really want my life to be about. When we turn away from that and seek His face and say, Lord, I need you to be the one who alone in my life. We sang about that earlier. A great song that we sang about keeping God first in our hearts. And then we turn. It tells them they turn from their wicked ways. They don't just keep walking in this. And I know I've said it a thousand times, and I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but God cannot bless that which is contrary to his nature. Jesus said he came that they may have life and have life abundantly, but described the evil one who came to kill, steal, and destroy The evil one is out to enslave us. And if we stay walking in a slave, say, hey, I want to stay in this slavery. I want to stay in the darkness. I want to continue to do all these things that seem so appealing, even though they're killing me. God doesn't say, uh, oh, wonderful, go that way. I'll enhance everything in that direction. God says, well, when you're ready, and you're ready to turn away from that garbage and see that I have something far better for you, then we're ready to do some business here. They have to turn from their wicked ways, because He can't bless the wicked ways. When we take God seriously, and these are the elements of it, He receives us graciously. I will hear. Because he's listening all the time about that spot in Israel, right? I will hear. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. God's giving them a very clear prescription what it will take. And we saw at the end of 1 Kings how God kept upping the oppression upon the people of Israel in order to get their attention. To get them to see that they're walking in the wrong direction. But when they do turn, he's always waiting, ready to listen, forgive, and heal their land. We've got to take this particular note. It's so magnificent. We're all familiar with verse 14, but let's just remind ourselves. Verse 15 says, My eyes will be open, my ears attentive to prayer, Made in this place. He's listening for the prayers that are coming from his people that are, that are centralized or, or based upon what's happening with that ark because that's where redemption is going to work out for them. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house. Isn't that amazing? I have chosen and sanctified this house on this place that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. This is why I say it is the singularly most sacred holy place on the entire earth. Right there. Magnificent. And when he hears the prayers identified with that, with the ark, with the covenant, with the people of Israel. And the ark of course is ultimately representative of what Christ would do. So their prayers that are that are covered in the grace and in the blood of Jesus Christ will be future. That's all they have to work with right now. Then then he will do his gracious work on their behalf. But my oh my. That he says my heart, my eyes, my ears are always attuned to a physical location that houses the ark. How magnificent is that? The most sacred element of furniture on a most sacred piece of landscape. I have to have that understanding, friends, as we wrap this up. Because here's what we want to say. First of all, I want to remind all of us, on a day-to-day basis, there is a spiritual battle that rages on. We think in terms of what we see with our eyes and what we read in the news and whatever opinion makers are throwing at us and we think that's the ultimate. No. There is a spiritual battle that is raging throughout the entire history of earth. And it's a battle with two kingdoms who are fighting one for another, a kingdom of darkness and a kingdom of light. Islam... Claims that that place in Jerusalem is now one of their holy sites. I've heard it identified as their third most holy site. That's a counterfeit, friends. Why why would they counterfeit that? Why would the evil one in this spiritual battle counterfeit this thing? Remember, the evil one's role is I will be like the Most High. He's seeking to usurp God and rule over the entire universe. So this place that is so singularly identified by God as the place that he looks to with the ark that he had them build where he will meet with them in the mercy seat and now with the temple around it, he says, that's where I'm looking to see what you are really reflecting as my people. And Islam steps in and says, we'll take that, thank you. And they make it their third most holy place. I think that's interesting. I think it's interesting because what have they done? Well, it's, it's kind of a holy place, sure. But they've moved their most holy place over here to a place called Mecca. So now our attention is here. What is the evil one trying to do? The evil one is continually trying to get us to dismiss God, who He is, the work He's doing in our lives, the work He's doing redemptively in the world. He's trying to, he, the evil one is always trying to get us to look elsewhere. And so he moves the holy place over here, yet controls this place so that God's rightful owners can't readily come back and reestablish because the Dome of the Rock is there. And the pictures that you see that you identify with this place right now have a gold dome, and that's a place of Islam. And that's right where the temple is going to be. So it's a counterfeit holy place because there's a counterfeit king looking to establish his reign that's number 1 we need to just understand that friends in this spiritual battle and number 2 keep your eyes on jerusalem do not miss the significance that god himself said my heart my eyes my ears are attuned to that piece of geography in perpetuity forever He has not given that place up. He has not dismissed it as insignificant to himself. But his redemptive work throughout history is going to focus there again. Graduates, allow me to say one thing. Because you're stepping out into a world from here. A world that within our culture more and more wants to embrace the dark kingdom. Wants to embrace those things that are contrary to God. Wants to embrace those things that uh, effectively are a thumb in the eye of God. Okay? One of the things you're going to hear is that Israel has no rightful ownership to that place, Jerusalem. That it's wrong to move for America to move its embassy there because they have just displaced these poor peoples, I want you to keep this card with you. If nothing else, so put it in a wallet somewhere. Keep it somewhere. You can know I can go to this chapter of the Bible, Second Chronicles, chapter seven. I can go here and I can be reminded that three thousand years ago, God said, "That's my terrain," and I will not give it up. Because you are going to hear stuff, and you can go back to your Bibles and say, "Oh yeah." God promised to Solomon this was where his heart would be. And anything else there is counterfeit. Okay? I'd like you to do that. Don't lose that card. And that's true for the rest of us, isn't it? So we sent you out with a little something today that can carry you now for the rest of your lives. And keep your eyes on Jerusalem because God is working out a plan there. Okay? That's from a spiritual battle side. We'll wrap it up with this. We've said it repeatedly. This passage is specifically addressing Israel. If my people, at that time, Solomon, he's a king in Israel. These are the ones he's talking about. That covenant, Ark of the Covenant, was established for them, fulfilled in Christ. If my people, who are called by my name. But you know, we are later identified as a peculiar people. We are identified as a holy priesthood. We have some of the same identifications. It's not to say that Israel and the church are the same. I'm not saying that. I'm saying some of the descriptions are the same. And I would just like to share three verses that we're familiar with, which sustain the same element, that when we take God seriously, He receives us graciously. James 4.8, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. We've got to turn to him. Now, there's some serious things in that. Drawing near to God is not just acknowledging him. Hey, you might want to consider these four aspects that were named in Second Chronicles 7.14 about humbling ourselves, praying, seeking my face, and turning from our wicked ways. That's part of turning to God. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that in due time he may exalt you, 1 Peter. My people... Will humble themselves. It said here, Second Chronicles. Turn from your wicked ways. First John one nine. We many of us will know this immediately. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. His nature, essence, and desire to love his children and be in relationship with his children is exactly the same because it is who he is. How that is worked out is different because the Old Testament was before Christ represented by that ark. He had not yet come, so the animal sacrifices were placeholders, we said last week. But Christ now has come, so we look back. But his love for us, his desire for us, and his willingness to work graciously on our behalf is every bit different. The same, dear friends. When we take God seriously, He receives us graciously. So let's just finish with this last thought Moms, we love you, and your task at times is overwhelming, it can be thankless. Sometimes naughty little kids can be really rude and it can pierce to your heart. Can I just encourage you that as you are in this process of raising these kids who have a lot to learn, can I just encourage you that God is ready to work graciously on your behalf? He desires to be involved in your life. He desires to help you process the pain. He desires to lift you up and just give you strength for each day. Some days it doesn't feel like you're getting the strength, but he is there and he is caring for you. So in your process of being a mom, know that he acknowledges what you do is very significant and he's engaged with you. Father, thank you for the magnificence of this passage which reminds us that your heart is forever in that location, forever waiting for your people to turn to you, the people of the old covenant, Father, and that Jerusalem is that holy place. May we hold on to that as our attention in the news is drawn back to Jerusalem, even this week, Lord, may we continue to recognize that you have a deep and abiding desire to bless what happens there. May we remember that Christ will return there. That's where he's coming back, is to Jerusalem, Lord. You're not done yet with your work in that bit of geography. So we want to take that as a fact. Father, we want to take that as something that has deepened our understanding of your word this morning. We want to take it with us, keep these cards. We do not want to forget how to find this in Scripture, Lord. Because it will help keep us clear. But also, Father, we need to take with us the reality that you minister so graciously to us and desire such good things for us, Lord. We praise you for that and I pray that today moms will, in a renewed way, find strength in you. As they recognize your desire to bless them and strengthen them in their task. In Jesus' name, amen.